This is David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast. Today, we're delighted to have Tova Felchu. That's right, like at you, like a sh- like a shoe made out of felt. <laughs> well, you know, I think the Yiddish is. What is the y- meaning of the word Felchu? If you paid the censor, the Napoleonic censor, when he came around to get the last name of Jews, since everybody was like Shmuel ben David till then, <laughs> because they needed to collect taxes, if you paid him, you were called Rosenberg, the the uh, Mountain of Roses, or you were called Cohen because that's what you wanted to be considered a priest, and you'd change your name from Schmendrich to Cohen. If you didn't pay the censor, which is what happened with my family, you were called Fieldboot. And that's what Felchu means. Now, it could be from Fieldschutz, which is guardian of the field, or Felcher, which means medic. But by the time we came through at an Ellis Island, we were F-E-L-D-S-C-H-U-H, Felchu. And my beloved cousin, Yoel Felchu in Caesarea, has that last name, too. He did not Hebraicize his name, and that's how I found my family in Israel. Aha, uh-huh. and apparently you met this guy in your youth, and you started dating him. And in your acting career, you were Terry Fairchild. Oh, you mean, we're talking, we're not talking about my cousin Joel Felcher. We might as well move to Appalachia. (laughs) No, we're not talking about my husband, Andrew Harris Levy. Before I met Andrew Harris Levy, whom I married on March the 20th, 1977, I was in college at Sarah Lawrence. I fell in love with a boy from Wesleyan. His name was Michael Fairchild. He was not from our tradition, but he's a marvelous person and became a very fine photographer for National Geographic. And he said, what kind of a name is Terry Sue for a Northern Jew like you? And it was, you know, he was not being disparaging. I said, well, he said, what else were you called? I said, well, I was called Tova, and I even said I was called Tova in Sunday school because Michael was, you know, Episcopalian and I was Jewish. I didn't have the guts at the time at 17 or 18 to say I was like called Tova in Hebrew school because I was in the conservative movement. Eight hours a week, and I know tefillah, but uh, ask me about conversational Hebrew. I need a lot of uh, uh, remedial work. So I changed my name from Terry Sue to Tova. Michael said, Tova. Now that's a name. Now that's a name. And for love of Michael Fairchild, I changed my name from Terry Suda Tova. And like any adolescent, one of which is now in the White House, like any adolescent, we didn't know, I didn't understand the consequences of my actions. And I didn't know that changing my name from Terry Suda Tova would change the landscape of my entire life. And it it does. It's inseparable from... From who you are, let me... Exactly. You know, as, as Shakespeare says, what's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes without that title. I, I love Shakespeare. I make my living doing it. I love, I did Roman Juliet for Jack O'Brien, but I beg to differ. I think that everybody's life, David, is about their life. They're, we're stuck in, we're stuck in our bodies. It's not about my life. So Tova, what's in a name is everything because it's a, it's a moniker by which you can place where people come from, like your origins are from Morocco and my origins are from 90th and Lexington. But be, when Terry Sue changed to Tova, felt you, I was perceived as Orthodox, European, and a maven of, his, a maven of not just Israel, maven of Judaism. I was neither Orthodox, I was not European, and I was not an expert in Judaism, though I was educated in the conservative movement, and I loved being a Jewish American. But I quickly began to study uh, because I was, uh, I was riding the horse in the direction it was galloping. And, you know, I mean, if I had half an hour, I would read your resume, but I don't. But one thing I did notice is you've had unbelievable diversity of roles in your career, from film and on stage 
and your very latest, um, which is, you know, Golda's Balcony, where you play Golda Mayer. I just, I, you know, I, it feels like it's the culmination of everything you've done in your life because you play all these roles in, in the play and now the movie, right? I, I got very lucky. Uh, my beloved and extraordinarily gifted Broadway uh, producer, principal pro David Fischelson, decided, another David Hamelech, uh, decided to turn my performance as Golda Meir in William Gibson's Golda's Balcony, directed by Scott Schwartz, another person I love very much. He sounds Jewish. He is, this, he is the child of Stephen Schwartz, who okay. wrote Pippin and, uh, and uh, Godspell and Wicked. Uh, uh, he's a genius. Both of them are. And in all events, uh, Dave Fischelson decided to take footage that was made of me doing the entire play on one day, two performances, two cameras each performance, so four choices, and make that footage of the the entire play into a full-length brilliant feature. It's a brilliant idea. And it has won four out of four first prizes at the Jewish film festivals it's already been to, and we get to close the Los Angeles Jewish Film Festival sponsored on May 9th, uh, May sponsored the by 9th. the Jewish Journal. And I yes. am... Um, flying out for that extraordinary experience and the red carpet and the uh, feature and the Q&A and my wonderful representatives at Abrams Artists, my wonderful managers at Luber, at, at for Matt, Matt <laughs> Lubner and, and uh, Lubner Racklin. It's, it's uh, hard to remember the, uh, the parlance of that, but uh, Michael Adler and his colleagues will all be there as I hope my Friends all over Los Angeles will attend this screening. Now, you did uh, over 500 straight performances. I think, I think 592. It was like the all-time record on Broadway for a one-woman show. It was a It is still the longest-running one-woman play in the history of Broadway. Right, and, and apparently you never missed one performance. Never. Right? I remember uh, I was with Theo Bikel once. And the best. <laughs> yeah, and I, I forget the numbers, like 1,800 consecutive performances of Fiddle on the Roof. And, and I asked him, how do you do 1,800 consecutive performances of the same show? How do you do it, Tova? How do you do it without and, and trying to keep it fresh every night, knowing you're pretty much going to do the exact same thing at every show, correct? Actually not. When you really, you know, accurate, excellent, effortless. When you really get good at this, and I think Dave Brubeck and the jazz musicians will understand this, the actor knows everything about the character, like a reservoir, so that the character, when he gets or she gets on stage, knows nothing. They don't know what's going to occur in the next moment, just like I am generally speaking to you, and I'm speaking to you about Golda's balcony, and I'm thinking about it. You become so Golda. Well, I become Golda under certain circumstances, and depending on the heat in the theater and where what city I'm playing and their reaction to me, there are subtle adjustments so that I am with them. It's more like a cadenza that Mozart would write. You know generally that you're going to have flourishes, you're going to have go up and down with arpeggios, but you're not sure exactly what each note will be and, and, and uh, how it will occur. Also, there's another reason you can do a long run. At the time I did Golda's Balcony, we moved into Iraq because we had false information. And Colin Powell 
uh, who's a great general, disgraced himself in front of the UN because he pleaded for a case that had false information. There were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Nonetheless, our boys were being killed. And every night, I would take the picture of the last casualty, and I would put it up stage left and dedicate the performance to that fallen soldier, mm. much like Israel has had to do all its life. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, Joe DiMaggio was at the end of his career at Yankee Stadium. An eight-year-old boy came to see him play baseball, and he hit a grand slam home run. And the little boy went up to Joe after the game, trying to get his autograph, and he said, Joe, Joe, how do you keep hitting those homers? And Joe DiMaggio says, I keep hitting those homers because n somebody ain't never seen baseball. Mm. So before I go out on stage, to this day, I say to myself, this is somebody's first play mm. on Broadway, and this is somebody's last play on Broadway. And my it, obligation is to, uh, is to recreate it specifically for them in that moment. You know, uh, what I find extraordinary is you can be in a really bad mood. You might have had a very difficult conversation with your son that morning. Something really dark may have happened. Maybe in a rough mood. We all are. And yet the actor, you go on stage, Toba, you do not have the luxury that's correct. of having a bad day. That, that's, you switch channels. You just, I, have a, I had a brilliant mother-in-law, and she was very cheery, much like my husband, Andrew Levy. And Clarice Levy would say, I'm switching channels. So uh, the day my father died, May 11th, 1996, I went on that night. I was in a one-woman show called Tova Out of Her Mind. The house is sold out. My father was with his body all day. And I went on that night. And uh, I would bury my father that Monday. And I did sit shiva after that. But I went on. And you just switch channels. Now, I do do an, a, a, a unit to my father, the Gershwin unit. I lululu zisalu. I lululu zaindalu. I lululu bebalu. So when I started his lullaby, it was particularly poignant, difficult, painful, wonderful, profound because he had died that morning. But that's correct. You go on, and in a way, it's a metaphor for life that we go on. Nobody knows that better than the Israelis. Nobody. We go on, and the, the, there's another interesting irony here is that, you know, I, I've spoken to some psychologists who know the field a lot better than I do, and one of the things I've heard over the years is that it's so healthy to get out of yourself. And sometimes you need to go inside of yourself to get out of yourself. I, that's beautifully and, put. And, and that's kind of that's the role the deal. of an actor. That's why, why you do this podcast, why you have five exquisite children. I knew Thea Bikel, incidentally, as you did, and uh, I remember he could not go to the funeral of his mother. I'll never forget that because he was on tour, and he couldn't go. She was thousands of miles away. I guess she was in Israel, and he was somewhere on the West Coast. I don't know. But I remember thinking, holy wick. And he was, he was a wonderful, brilliant guy, and he honored his mother. He ended up honoring his mother. You know, I'm coming to the West Coast also September 20th and 21st to play Leona Helmsley. I know. Not you know, such an honorable gal, but a, what a great character. You, I mean, the kind of stuff you've done, I don't think a lot of people realize. You've been on Law and Order. Uh, you've been on The Walking Dead, which is, has a huge cult following. And Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. That's right. That Where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? <laughs> I need to find your bathroom. Tell me that you have a bathroom in this hovel you call home. I don't know which was bumpier, the, whatever it is. It's very funny. 
By the way, you're looking healthy, and by healthy, I mean chunky. I don't mean that as an insult. I'm just stating it as fact. I see your eczema is back. <laughs> or is, is that from Crazy Ex? That's right. It's my criticism oh. of my daughter, Rachel. Uh, shiny, is that accurate? Because Shiny's my expert. It's pretty good, eh? Yeah. Great. I Give us something from oh, Walking Dead. The Walking Dead, my God. Uh, she got bitten, and she used it. The, uh, she swore. I mean, I played Deanna Monroe, and I remember saying, Rick, it's, it's you now. It's you that have that has to lead that has to lead this company of human beings i i can't do it but when she got when she got bitten and i hope we're not uh, we're not going to be barred here from lack of freedom of speech i get bitten and i eventually die i get bitten i look at the bite and i go ah shit it was <laughs> one of the great lines in in uh, in cable television it was so good uh, oh, I have to ask. So she I, wasn't a crier, you know? She wasn't a crier. She's not a complainer. I think uh, Shiny's seen every uh, episode of Law and Order, so I got to ask from some Bissell, a Bissell from oh, Law and Order. It was great. Well, my fa- uh, the big thing with that I've known from uh, Law and Order was my ad lib, which is, come on, Jack. I used to challenge him all the time, and uh, I, uh, I got lucky. My father was a litigator. I got a small guest starring role in Law and Order. The character was Daniel Melnick, uh, named in jest after Danny Melnick, the uh, big producer here on Hollywood. And when I got the part, they changed it from Daniel to Danielle. When I got the part in uh, Walking Dead, they changed it from Douglas Monroe to Deanna Monroe. So I went to Law & Order. I did this small part. Either Dick Wolf or some kind director said, oh, gee, she's... She's rather good as this as this defense attorney, and I was on for 13 years, once a year like Peter Pan. But really, I was in the Suzuki School of Litigation because before I even remember learning to talk, I remember my father talking about his cases in court. Is that a, a major turn-on for you when you go to completely radically different role from one to another? Is that like I, part of your great challenge of your life? I and- love it. I, I What happens at this age, David, is that if you're still operating on all cylinders... You're so young. You climbed Kilimanjaro with I your son. I did. I climbed Kilimanjaro three years ago. I did indeed. One step at a time with Brandon Levy. And I took Amanda Levy as her victory lap to Namibia and on a rare and beautiful safari. We, I've done a lot of adventure traveling. We just came back from uh, Borneo, northern Thailand, and Java. I was in Borobudur and the Grand Prambanan. How long did Kilimanjaro take you? Seven seven nights and eight days. Mm-hmm. Seven nights and seven days to uh, summit. I shouldn't say that. Six nights and seven days to summit and one day to go down. Was it one of the highlights of your life? It was a life-changing experience, which I hope never to experience again. <laughs> it was extremely uh, challenging. Older people like you and I do very well, particularly older people who sing, which I do, because we know how to breathe, and when... The person leading you up the mountain says, don't go to 10. You listen to instructions. What does that mean, don't go to 10? It was an incredibly un-American, un-rugged individualism, capitalistic uh, experience. It was not that even close. You are not supposed to be goal-oriented. You go one step at a time up Kili, and you look at the feet in front of you. You do not look up the mountain. You set no goals for yourself except to look at the feet in front of you. If you are huffing and puffing, you will not make it to the summit. If you drink, you will not. If you drink liquor, you will not make it to the summit. You there are certain strict rules of how to dress and what to eat to help you succeed. Um, a lot of their fancy, rich Russian clients never made it to the summit. So are you saying you if I'm huffing and if I'm huffing and puffing, they don't allow you. You you operate at eight. You operate under your ability. 
so that mm. you can stay there for the long haul. And those who don't listen very often get altitude sickness. This is fascinating. It was, uh, it was a Zen experience. Kind of so it was a lesson in life. Moment, 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 foot, foot. And you saw little steps day in, day out for me in silence. The younger kids could play word games. My son was busy with the, the CNN anchor, Brooke Baldwin, uh, doing all sorts, uh, all sorts of uh, fun uh, games, 20 questions or whatever. The, re the rest of us, the older, I was older by, by 15 years than the oldest uh, climber. Uh, next to me. He was in his 40s. I was well into my 50s. And we um, we remained silent. And, I, and you I were not checking your emails. No, there is no email. There is no Wi-Fi in no Kilimanjaro. Wi nothing. Well, look, I sing a little bit, so maybe I will take it on. You should, you would, you would love Soleil it. Soleil de mon pays perdu. Des villes blanches que j'ai vues. But I'm an amateur. That's Unlike beautiful. you, I don't know if the breeding. But it's French. Uh, yeah. We'll accept it any day. We love that accent. All right, shiny Kilimanjaro. On, to do, on the to-do list. It's a lot of fun. You could do it with Dad. You really could. One step at a time. I can hear my father saying, one step at a time, one step at a time. I love this girl. story on what you did on that on that climb. I think that it was, was beautiful. It was a very great bonding experience with my son and me going down. I have a runner's, a runner's knee now, a left knee. I used to be a runner three miles a day. I'd run at five, go to the theater, and do the show because it was all loosened up. So my left knee is weak, and I couldn't get down the mountain from 20,000 feet to 10,000 quite fast enough. So I'd go down. I'd go down 1,000 feet. I'd throw up. I'd keep going down. I had some altitude sickness going down, but it was descending the mountain. And so I, I, I wonder, it looks like uh, you've had some life lessons from your career and stuff. I mean, one of them that caught my attention is what you told your daughter. One day when I think she was getting married and you said Broadway something Broadway baby like, takes it. Takes you it. know how to have a successful marriage. Shut one eye and don't leave. Some of it's fun. Some of it isn't. It could be challenging, but you don't leave the field of play. That's right. You stay on the field of play. I've been married to Andy Levy for 42 extraordinary years. And if you marry for love, you guys who don't, you know, you bear your own consequences. I'm not an expert in that. But if you marry for love, oh, love always comes back. And what's more, the empty nest is highly underrated all this agony you Seriously? think when your children leave i love my children brandon levy and amanda i levy. smell a butt coming we did a great job with them and who knew when they were fully functioning adults that didn't need our they need our support but not our help they thank god p -p -p -p, there are no health issues and there are no financial issues the children earn a living that i have more time with andy to go to borneo and Java, and I, we went to Siberia and Mongolia, and in August, I'm going to New Guinea to see the Sing Sing. Wow. Uh, I've never heard of that, so you have to... It's a, it's a gathering of the tribes. When you go to New Guinea, even in these days, you cannot uh, go alone. You don't, ever. We're go I'm going in a high-end group with about eight other people. I'm taking one of my godchildren mm -hmm. because my husband turned me down. He wouldn't go with me, and my children are married now. You know, if you ever have an opening, my daughter, Shani, will That's go right. with you. That's right. It's a Felchu yeah. scholarship program. She is a total traveler I'm taking Erin Schrode my wonderful one of my wonderful goddaughters who's in Puerto Rico now when all the presses died down still helping that country recuperate and she's a Jewish kid from Marin mm -hmm. County mm -hmm. and she is had has set up food banks and enlisted great chefs to take on one of the 21 meals a week it's in Puerto Rico in Puerto Rico if you don't mind can we do a story on that in the Jewish Journal we actually sent a reporter to Puerto Rico a year after we covered all the rescue humanitarian efforts. I would oh, love to. I will get you in touch with Erin Schrode. She's coming to the Seder 
on uh, Friday. She's coming back to the United States to, to, to be there because she can't be with her mom, Judy Shills, who runs all sorts of nonprofits, one being Teens Turning Green. This kid started Teens Turning Green and turning young people on to organic living and leaving no carbon footprint when she was 13 years old and that she was a presidential scholar at NYU. She's oh. extraordinary. God bless she, her. She's the American dream in that. She, she, she lives in New York? She lives all over the place. Mm. She lives, She comes from Marin County. She used to live in New York. I think she's living in Puerto Rico feeding people. Wow. That's, that's her uh, tikkun. And uh, she's been raised to give her life to a higher purpose since, again, uh, before she was born. Speaking mother. of higher purpose, uh, it, it seems to me this is a lifetime role for you, this idea of embodying one of the great women in Jewish history, Golda Meir. You, it, you sunk your teeth into this role. I was, very, I was very lucky to get it, and that's because I had the good luck of my name. You know, I think of what I fought for, Catherine Hepburn, three, three queens of Henry VIII, uh, Juliet, uh, Isabella the Nun in Measure for Measure, my work at Stratford, Celia opposite uh, Eileen Atkins, and the pieces that came to me on a silver platter, Yentl, uh, the Broadway production, I, I established that role. Um, uh, I can't imagine another actor than you. For, it's like Olivier Hamlet. It's like, I, I just can't Gold. imagine another actor playing Golda than you. Gold and Mayer. I think anybody who sees your play and now the film just realizes that. What also what I found interesting is you didn't try to create other accents while you were playing all these other people. And the Iraqi foreign ministry says, go back to Milwaukee, right, at the United Nations. It was still your chutzpah. It was, it was Golda. It was, it was a very interesting conundrum because it's Golda playing the Iraqi minister. Correct. So that there were some alterations in my vocal vocal, But not powers. that much, no, right. Another, I had to be respectful of, of her abilities. Um, what happened is that I think because of the luck of my name and my reputation by then, Dave Fischelson, the producer who had garnered the rights to take the play into New York, uh, gave me the role. He just said there was no, there was no audition for, for Golda. There was no audition for Helena Slomov in Holocaust. Really been lucky. No audition for Judy Stein and kissing Jessica Stein. You know. Is there a moment in the play, in the film, is there a, a couple of moments that you can talk about that move you, especially move you? Very Give much. Give me the goosebumps. The one that gives me the, the goosebumps personally is when I say, and I'm not quoting the text specifically, if you want to see the text and its specifics, come May 9th to the <laughs> Aria Theater on Wilshire Boulevard in Beverly Hills, 90211 is that zip code. You should have been in marketing. 7 p.m., yeah. 7 p.m., and then I'm going to give a Q&A afterwards. At one point in, in the film I and, and in the play, but the film is in close-up, and I say um, I was down visiting my daughter, at her kibbutz, knowing that the Egyptian army, if they invaded, would overrun her kibbutz and my grandchildren with them in their path. And I went back to Jerusalem without saying a word. My daughter came to me after the invasion. He said, she said, Mommy, Mommy, how could you? And I said, I couldn't tell, ev I couldn't tell everyone. How could I tell you? So that just, I mean, I just had the joy of having our first grandchild, a son, Raphael Levi Rizzoi, the son of Joel and Amanda Rizzoi. Joel is from Uruguay. And I'm hoping the same thing from Jamie, Jamie and Brandon Levy. They're just married under a year, so I hope they have babies too. 
but I think about leaving your progeny um, in the in the path of the enemy and not showing them special treatment. But then, of course, we have this mess here in Hollywood with people who try to give preferential treatment to get their children into university. Right, but it's so sad. Going back to Golda, it seems that she embodies so much of the complexity and the paradoxes of the Israeli consciousness. Her primogenitor, along with Ben Gurion, the fragility mixed with this need to be strong mixed with this, you know, almost melancholy at having to be put in a position where you have to be someone that you don't really want to be, which is a fighter, that famous line that it still resonates to this day. Um, you know, it, when they will love their kids more than they hate us. There will us. be peace when the Arabs love their children more than they hate the Jews. And the worst thing they do is they force us to kill. There's, like, there's a few lines from Why, Golda. We will forgive you. We will forgive you for killing our sons. We will never forgive you for making our sons killers. Yeah, so so like she's or, really a special... So other things not in the play. I have the saddest victorious army in the world. My boys come home having won a war and won the battle and lock themselves in their bedroom and mourn the loss of their youth. We are not interested in winning wars. We're interested in growing strawberries and sharing water. And, you know, the New York Times, they had a great line. Uh, she, meaning you, does more than resurrect Golda Meir. She embodies an entire country. And that's what It Golda was, you know, did. like any, David, I'm sure you've had this in your life, like any great opportunity, it is the synchronicity of, of various events coming together to create uh, this marvelous um, alliance between you, let's say, in my case, and a role. Uh, Dave Fischelson knew of me. The play was coming into New York. My, I had a marvelous manager, Gene Fox, who called Dave Fischelson and said, what about Tova Felchu? He, she gave, he gave me the part. Gene Fox called me and said, you've got this part. I said, Gene, is it just another Jewish mother? And she said, jerk. It's not just another Jewish mother. It's the mother of a state. And <laughs> you're taking this play. I thought the play had a few problems. And I spoke to the... Like uh, what? Well, there were, there were um, things that were holding it back from being a great theatrical piece which was that Mr. Gibson made it more of a reportage, as if Walter Cronkite were reporting it. Mm. So I went to the playwright, and we read his play to him verbatim. It starts out, the published play starts out with something like, my name is Golda, no wig, no bodysuit, no, uh, no, no false nose, just me. I said, my name is Golda, no wig, no bodysuit, no tova. I'm not doing this part without a transformation. So I went to him and I said, could we cut this first page out and could we change all the verbs in your text to present tense? Mm -hmm. And he, I sat next to Margaret Gibson, his wife, who had been a professor at Harvard in psychology and she suffered a stroke. My father, Sidney, died from a stroke in 1996. I see an octogenarian with a stroke and I feel like I'm with my father. I simply asked to sit next to her during the reading in Mr. Gibson's uh, living room in Stockbridge. I, of course, was given permission. I sat next to the wheelchair with Margaret in it. I said, Mr. Gibson, may I do this? And he said, Miss Felcher, who do you think you are trying to change the beginning of my play? I've been writing plays for 50 years. You can't just change my play. And Margaret Gibson, from her wheelchair, said, la, la, la. And he said, 
All right. I said, Mr. Gibson, we're going to take you down in a limousine from Stockbridge, Massachusetts, to the Manhattan Ensemble Theater right there on Mercer Street. And I'm going to do this play for you with all the verbs in the present tense, with my beloved director and the producer, Scott Schwartz and Dave Fisselson, watching. And if you don't like it, you're king. You're protected by the Writers Guild. Change it back. So he came to see the play. Thank God he was still alive and well. And he saw the run through. And he was... He was happy. And he said, Miss Felcher, I have one word for you. And I said, what is that, Mr. Gibson? And he said, nifty. <laughs> Do what you want. And that is how we launched Golda's Balcony. And that darn thing ran for four months off Broadway and 16 months on Broadway. And I have never missed a performance in my Broadway career in 45 years. Never. It changes everything, Tova, the present tense. It gives you the immediacy, the intimacy. Yeah, it gives, it gives us what we have now, a conversation where you don't know what's going to happen next, but you have a general idea what we're going to talk about. So that's what I was able to do. I was able to give the audience an experience because, as we say, Dave, it was somebody's first play and it was somebody's last play. You see, I don't think Terry Sue would have had that idea. I think <laughs> this, was, this was a Tova idea. There's something very Jewish about the intimacy and the immediacy, knowing that we never know what the world is going to throw or, at or us. The, or the, you know, changing my name from Terry to Tova, my tikkun olam, you know, just for those who are Hebrew impaired, uh, tikkun olam is the Talmudic principle that says we are all put on this planet for the purpose of healing the world and that if you find your purpose, it bodes for a long and a profound life. So I didn't ask for this tikkun. What happened with the Tova Felchu is that the Jewish charities and the Jewish great heroines came my way. And I was a very diligent, hardworking, and successful student. And I took those beautiful round peaches of rolls and I sunk my teeth into them. I'm about to play a man this year. I'm about to play Joe Yussel the Muscle Jacobs in the story of the relationship of Max Schmeling, the German heavyweight championship, mm. and his relationship with his Jewish uh, American, but of Russian immigrant parents, uh, prize-fighting manager. You know, I, uh, I, I'm still with that present tense idea, which is, it's almost like the, you know, Gibson, he's British, maybe he has the luxury of the past tense. We don't. We're Jews. We're living in the moment. And I think that was uh, probably a game changer, wasn't it? It was a big game changer. Actually, he was, he's an American wasp, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, but okay. Margaret, White, uh, Margaret Gibson was a JWP, a Jew who passes. He, she was a Jewish woman, which is uh -huh, really interesting. So she got it. So she had a soft spot, but he wrote Two for the Seesaw, and he cast a young, gorgeous Italian actress, Anna Italiana, mm. whom we know as Anne Bancroft, in Two for the Seesaw. Then he gave her The Miracle Worker. Uh, wow. As wow. Sullivan and Patty Duke made her, her debut, um, and it, and as Helen Keller, and then he wrote Golda a play, and Golda the play failed abysmally, cut and stopped in three weeks in, on Broadway, and he wrote a new play many many years later called Golda's Balcony, which was a one person show. Is there a, a role that almost dreamed of playing that you haven't played? Well. One of the mini dreams is to be on Mrs. Maisel. I would love to be in that series, and I feel that I could do it in my sleep. You must be on that show. I want to be We're the aunt of, uh, of that brilliant actress. At the Jewish Journal here, they're all obsessed oh with this show. God. We've done 10 stories on the show. I just love that show. And also, I'm in mourning because Rachel Bloom, my beloved genius Rachel Bloom, has uh, she and Aline Bruss McKenna have stopped a crazy ex-girlfriend. You know, they only did four years. I played her mother for four years, and I would have gone for another... 
Another 10. All right, Shani, we got to get her on, Mrs. Maisel. Okay. There you go. Yeah. But my dream classical role, I always wanted to do St. Joan, and I was offered it, and I was offered a leading role in a musical on Broadway, and I, I, I stayed with Broadway, but I regret not doing the Master Builder, which I'll never do, but I'd like to do a black box St. Joan as a memory play. I think these characters, the more difficult the obstacle, example, Golda Meir and Golda's Balcony, the more interesting for the audience. And you have a lot of stuff coming up, right? I mean, Leona Hemsley is as far from Golda That's right. as you can get. I do. So. Leona Hemsley is back from purgatory. It's, it's a nightclub act, so it's she's back from purgatory for 60 minutes to set the record straight and sing a few show tunes. Is her dog? Is her dog got 12 million trouble. Yeah. Trouble. Right. <laughs> so uh, how do you... Prepare for a role like that. I, I, I read her book. I study her footage. Don't you think that we could use a little more humor in this ad? So she showed up in Pink Versace. She was over-entitled and yet brilliant in one area. If you wanted to get the most brilliant of the brilliant balabustas in your life, the greatest executive housekeeper, you'd want Leona Helmsley. She saw dirt where nobody else could imagine it. So by the time she told the maids who were working in the Helmsley Palace uh, to clean something, and they couldn't see it, and she could. That's why she started screaming the second and third time. Now, is that a play? It, I was offered a musical called The Queen of Mean. They're okay. still raising capital for it. Okay. And I said to these young composers, wonderful David Lee, Alex Lippard, and Ron Passero, let me take your score and fashion it into a nightclub act under the baton of Jeff Harner as director, James Bossy as musical director, and that became a, that became a hit. So when does it start? I did it in, in New York twice, and I'm going to San Francisco to Feinstein's at the Nico to do it for a couple of nights there and then hope to come to Los Angeles with it. I think the piece could honestly be in a black box theater. It could, it could sustain itself. Oh, man. Well, I'd when it comes to, to L.A., it. please let us know. I will. And what else do you have cooking? Uh, the other things I have cooking is I'm doing a small movie called Ruth's, R-U-T-H apostrophe S, which I hope that the wonderful writer, Chen Drachman, uh, from Israel, who speaks fluent and beautiful English, will change to the Book of Ruth, because I think that'd be a more interesting title. But it deals with had, I play Anne Frank, mm. had Anne Frank lived. So mm. I'm an old woman as mm. Anne Frank. Oh, wow. Not wanting to be discovered. And I, you know, the, the granddaughter puts everything together. I, I say, listen, listen, my sweetheart, my angel cake, I'm more valuable dead than alive. As as a as a as a dead beacon of light for people because of this diary, I'm going to stay under the the uh, radar. So I'm doing uh, the the movie called Ruth's. I'm doing three major plays: The Prompter, which will be directed by Scott Schwartz, who directed me in Golda's Balcony, which is a world premiere where I play a great diva at 90 years old coming back to Broadway, and she's going to do these. This fabulous play. She's already played Lady Bracknell. She's done Juliet. She's done marvelous parts. Except for one thing. At 90, she couldn't memorize one damn line. <laughs> so she has a prompter. And it's her relationship with this young, young gay man who is her prompter. And it's called The Prompter. And then I'm going to follow that with Dancing with Giants, where I'm going to play a man, Joe Yussel, the Muscle Jacobs. Oh, and next week, I'm starring opposite Ed Asner. In the soap myth, which we did hear briefly at the Kirk Douglas Theater, but it is being filmed by WNET April twenty second in New York City, and it's a play about uh, about the Holocaust. And when do you go to New Guinea? I go to New Guinea in August when all this takes a, a little bit of a respite, and before we go do Dancing with Giants September twelfth. If you ever want to write something about your New Guinea experience, 
We'll be in touch. Thank I'd you. love to publish that. Oh, thank you. I, I, I could. I could could really write about Siberia and Mongolia, particularly Siberia, where they, in 1825, the Decembers were exiled by the Tsar to Siberia for trying to revolt against the Tsar and bring elements of democracy to the government of imperialist Russia. And uh, instead, they brought great culture to Siberia. And of course, our people survived the Holocaust who were sentenced to Siberia from, from uh, the, the main area of Moscow and, and uh, at that time, Leningrad. Do you like to write? Do I like? Oh, I've been asked to write a book. Uh-huh. I am contracted by HarperCollins, my wonderful editor, Shannon Welch, my marvelous uh, agents, uh, to write a book which I'm entitling Lilyville, the Universe of My Mother. My mother lived till over 103, and I'm showing the evolution of our relationship and... Uh, Hopefully it's interesting enough, or we'll change the title and we'll change the umbrella, but it's a familial piece. Well, thank you so much, Tova. Thank you. Uh, we should remind our audience, May 9th. May 9th, the, we are, the Goldest Balcony, the film, is closing the Los Angeles Jewish Film Festival, and I'll be there. I'm traveling 3,000 miles to be with you for a Q&A. So you know what Golda Meir says, some people love you, and some people love you and show up. You show up, and it'll make all the difference. Well, they'll show up, and we love you here at the Jewish Journal. Thank you. Thank you.